I'd come here just for the music. <laughs> that was amazing. That song couldn't have tied up last Sunday's message and bridged into this one any better. Last Sunday morning, we talked about three trees. From the beginning of time to the end of time and everything in between. This amazing promise that God made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When sin came into the world and God said, there'll come a day, there'll come a day. And then that tree shows up again at the end of time in Revelation 22 when he said, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There'll come a day where there's no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more crying, no more dying. Unfortunately, we live between the trees. There's another tree that we talked about last Sunday morning, the cross of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God himself came and tabernacled among us. Emmanuel, God with us. This amazing journey that Christ took that God gave and trusted into the hands of two ordinary people that would absolutely redeem and change and transform the world for all time to come. We talked about the Christ of the cross. And what Jesus came to give. And anyone who received him, he gave the gift to be called the child of God, a son and daughter of the living God. What an unbelievable gift. That's why we celebrate with such enthusiasm here, because of the gift he's given. I'm pretty sure I've told you before, I grew up on a dairy farm in western Pennsylvania near Washington, PA. It was one of the best places on the planet to grow up. Every day, the wide open outdoors was in front of us. We had everything that had a motor and some that didn't. Started with go-karts and motorcycles. We'd take the beds off of pickup trucks and see how long they would last in the pasture field. I was driving before I was 10. I loved it. We didn't have family vacations as you and I would know family vacation, or maybe some of you here in this room this morning. If it didn't happen between the 5.30 a.m. milking and the 4.30 p.m. milking, we didn't do it. And as you can well imagine, there's not a lot that could happen or a lot of places you could go in between that time frame. And we can only do it on Sunday afternoon because the other six days were for labor, hard labor. I remember when the Pittsburgh airport opened up and we all went as a family. I thought, what a thrill. We get to see something different than what I've seen. My brother and I rode up and down on the escalator for an hour and a half. You thought Disney World was cool, man. Nothing compared to as an 11-year-old riding up and down the escalator in the Pittsburgh airport. Right? That's got to be cooler than Disney World. That's what we did. I remember sitting, I think it was somewhere near a, a water fountain or a fountain of some kind, and I was wide-eyed, as you can imagine. You've got to remember, I grew up somewhat sheltered up to that point. Now, in my high school years, I... Got beyond that, but up till that point, I didn't see a lot of folks. I could hear the neighbors, but I couldn't see them. There were people in front of me everywhere, and I, I found myself wondering, what is their story? Where are they going? What will it be like to travel? Now, you fast forward all of these years, and I find myself in an amazing position in that I have traveled 22 or 23 countries and six continents around the world. I still can't believe that. And I still find myself fascinated by the stories of people. Over the last number of months, we've been sharing the stories of biblical characters. 
So as we get to this Christmas story, there's no way I can't share a couple of those stories. Last Sunday morning, we took kind of a bird's eye view of everything. We kind of looked at this amazing plan that God had from the beginning of time. and kind of like looking at this church from that vantage point and looking down on it. But you know as well as I do, the church is more than that. It's about the people. So you, you walk through the doors and you begin to see yourself and look around and you recognize there are people all over this place who have stories. Stories that you do and you do and you do and you do and you do. And this morning I want to share two incredible characters that I think have stories to teach us all. You know as well as I do, people can be a fascinating study. They can inspire you. They can disappoint you. They can intrigue you. They can challenge you. Some display character traits that you would want to avoid. Some display character traits you definitely want to emulate. And the two that I want to share with you this morning have character traits that I got to believe we'd want to emulate. One of the stories is found in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. And you got to remember, they're writing these stories after the fact. The stories hadn't been written down. They'd been predicted for a long period of time, but they hadn't really come to be. And no one had had them so that they could carry from place to place. And so they're now retelling these amazing stories through the eyes of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them from a different vantage point, each to a different audience. Matthew was writing to an audience and he said, look, I want to tell you how the birth of Jesus came about. It's an amazing story. You almost wish you were there at that moment, sitting around a fire somewhere, at least listening to them begin to unfold this story. They'd never read about it before. Some of them had just heard about it. And now Matthew is writing it. You and I have read it for so many times through so many years that we almost miss the essence and power and wonder of it for the very first time. But Matthew said, look, I want to tell you a story you won't believe. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Remember, we'd been waiting for this all of our lives for centuries. Then he came. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She gave birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, as we said this moment ago, God with us. Joseph woke up, did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. It happened on a Wednesday. In a really small town in a very obscure place. All betrothal contracts were written on Wednesday. Parents of Joseph and Miriam, Mary as we know her, came together. And I'm sure when they signed that contract and drew it up, they had no idea what they had just done. They had no idea that the commitment between these two people were going to stand the test of time and the test of a challenge and would stand for over 2,000 years as an amazing set of people who were radically obedient to God. Within a year, the couple was to be married. Mary, or Miriam, was a common name. Almost every Jewish family had a Miriam because of Moses' sister, Mary. If any of you grew up in Catholic families, many of them had a Mary Elizabeth. 
because they wanted to somehow in this lineage of people talk about not only who they are, but our connection to our religion. Joseph also had a common name. There were Josephs everywhere. She was young. He was a carpenter. I'm sure Mary was prepared to be a simple Jewish woman in a simple Jewish home, spend the rest of her life until God took her home in that environment. (laughs) But God had some amazing plans in front of her. There are three basic steps to the Jewish marriage. One is the engagement. That's the contract between parents. Now, those of you who are dads raising daughters, how many of you would say amen to you like that idea? That opportunity that you have to choose for your daughter who you would want them to marry. Now, some of you are saying to yourself, I wish I would have had that choice. I did, and I loved it. My daughter went to Nyack College in Nyack, New York, had followed a pretty long tradition of couples going to Nyack College, falling in love and getting married. My wife's mother and dad did. Connie and I did. Ten months after I fell in love with that blue-eyed bombshell, we were married. Aaron had heard all these stories all her life and knew that she was going to go to Nyack College and continued to say to me, I am not going to do what you guys did. I am not going to do what Grandma did. I'm going to go through my whole career and not get married. And I said, okay, we'll see. She kept their word. Y2K came about, year 2000, and everyone wondered what was going to happen during that experience. These kids had found themselves as really tight friends living from New York to Michigan, said, if anything really happens, if the Russians really do invade, we're going to find ourselves in Butler, Pennsylvania, living at Denny's house because he has enough weapons that if something happens, we know we'll be okay. And I'll leave it at that. So we invited them in. Fourteen of them, I think, showed up. I thought for two days it was five days. Near the end of that experience, I said to Aaron, do you like any of these guys? They said, oh, no, we're all friends. I said, I like one. Okay. No, I like that one. That one? She said, yeah, I like that one. If you were to pick one of these guys to marry, that's the one I would pick for you. Well, you don't have a choice. I said, I know, but I have some influence. If I like that guy. Aaron says, okay, we're all friends. That's the way it's going to stay. But I said to you, I'm not getting married in college, and I'm not. And she didn't. Moved to sunny California. Eric finds himself in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. About six months after moving to California, she called me one day and says, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. She said, no, I want an appointment to talk to you. I said, you're talking to me on the phone right now. No, I want your undivided attention. I went, oh, okay, I get that. So we made the arrangements to talk, and she said, remember that guy you liked? I said, yeah, so do I. I said, I told you he was a good choice. I don't know what to do. I said, tell him how you feel. She did. She moved from California to Butler. He moved from Philly to Butler. In March, he asked her hand in marriage. In September that year, they were married. I like the idea. (laughs) How many dads would I say? Amen. Amen. Betrothal was the second stage where Joseph and Mary were during this particular time of period. It was an extremely serious stage. If you remember the story, when you see it in Matthew, it said he decided or wanted to divorce her privately. That word divorce is an unusual word when they're really not married yet. But in the Jewish eyes, in the Jewish society, they were as good as marriage. And then, of course, the third stage, and that is at the end of the year, marriage itself. When you spend some time looking at Joseph and Mary, there are a number of strong characteristics that stand out. The first one in Joseph's life is his unbelievable relationship with God. 
This man is fully committed to God. You don't know much about his story. You don't know much about his beginning. But you can see right away, this man really understands what it's like to make a commitment to Almighty God, to be obedient, whatever that looks like. Notice it says he desired to put her away privately. Didn't have to. That's why it says that according to the law, he could have put her away publicly, could have had her stoned. All of this was even before God spoke to him through the angel. His relationship with God caused him to treat Mary with such dignity and respect. Sometimes the closest people to us test our relationship with God. Sometimes the closest people to us test our relationship with God, and it's also the best place to demonstrate that. Sometimes the ones closest to us test our relationship with God, but to be really honest with you, the best place to demonstrate it is to those closest to us. He can't help but notice his attitude toward Mary, the one he loved. His culture didn't really treat women well, but in verse 19 it said, when he had considered this, again, this is even before the angel broke in and told him what had happened. He pondered the fact, how can I best help the person I love? Your reaction to the challenge of life really show your maturity in God. Not the planned times in life, but your reaction to the unexpected events, the disappointments of life, the crises that really change your life are the things that really display the depth of your relationship and your trust in Almighty God. The normal reaction is, how will this affect me? The normal reaction of Joseph would have been, how, how can she do this to me? How's this going to affect? What will people say about me? Instead... His reaction is, how will this affect Mary? The way he reacts is incredible. It says a lot about a man by the way he treats his wife. It says a lot about a man by the way he treats his life. I know I've told you the story before of Coach McCartney. He was coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, who was the founder of the Promise Keepers event. Sitting in a church one day when a speaker, whoever that may have been, said, you can tell the amount of energy and time and life the man has invested into his wife and his marriage by the countenance on her face. Then he looked at his wife's face and realized that he'd poured all of his time and energy into all of those other things and not into her. A man's character is best revealed in his respect for his mate, specifically his wife. I've often wondered if Joseph believed the angel's message or believed more in Mary. Because it seems like his belief in her far outweighed any doubt in the story. And that, to me, is incredible. Can you imagine the strong foundation of this marriage? We very seldom ever think about that. We go on with the story. We look at the characters. We understand what took place. We talk about the ride to Bethlehem and the baby in the manger and all the things that took place, which we will, and indeed we'll unpack over the next couple of weeks. But I found myself looking at this story and imagining what a strong foundation this marriage was built on. I've often wondered what it was like when God, who is the author of Scripture, began through the Apostle Paul to pen these words, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And I've often wondered, as God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit were penning those words, if God the Son didn't remember in his mind what it was like for the relationship that he saw in Mary and Joseph. And so when he writes these words, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, he said, I know what that looks like. I've seen it. It says a lot about a man by the way he treats his mate. It says a lot about a man by the way he treats his wife. Nothing is more revealing about a maturity than the way we respond to the issues of life. 
His sensitivity to God's voice is amazing. You already see him developing a plan, but after he considered this, then the angel appears and said, Joseph, I want you to know what this is all about. And obviously the thing that stands out is his obedience to God's plan. Most of us don't want our plans changed once our minds are made up. Hard to be sensitive to the voice of God sometimes if we're not careful when our minds are made up or we're emotionally involved or where there's risk involved or when the plan doesn't make sense. But every time God speaks, Joseph listens. Every time God tells him what to do, he responds in obedience. Four times God interacts with Joseph and all four times he obeys. Here in Matthew chapter one, the end of chapter two, fleeing from Egypt, fleeing to Egypt, then going back to Israel from Egypt, and then the end of chapter 2, going to Nazareth. Obedience for him meant risk, inconvenience, separation from loved ones, but every single time Joseph obeyed. One of the questions that I'm always asked as a pastor is, how do I align my priorities? What do you say are the important priorities of life? And I usually give them these as the top six priorities in life. Your number one relationship in life ought to be your relationship with the living God. You and I have been given the opportunity to have a relationship with the God of the universe that blows my mind. The God of the universe wants to be our friend. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with us. The God of the universe, through his son Jesus Christ, offers us that relationship. The number one relationship in your life ought to be with God. The number two relationship in your life ought to be with your mate, if God has entrusted one into your care. If God has brought you together and given you a mate, the number two relationship in your life ought to be your mate. The number three relationship in your life ought to be your children. And when those two get reversed, you've got some trouble. I've seen it a lot when wives will invest all their time and energy into raising their children and all of a sudden they go out into the world somewhere and look at that mate and say, who are you? I've seen it on both ends, either a mom or a dad, but somehow get that misaligned and all their energy and all their life is poured into their children and not their mate and all of a sudden everything changes pretty dramatically. I've said to my girls all the years have gone by, I just want you to know your mom's more important than me than you are. I love you. But she's most important outside of my relationship with the living God. I'm gonna be with her the rest of my life. I'm hoping you'll leave the house someday. The number three or four relationship in your life or priority of your life ought to be your career. Scripture said if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Then your ministry and then your hobby. Now, you know as well as I do, those also get out of line. Sometimes our hobby scoots into other things. Certainly it outweighs ministry on a number of occasions. Well, I just don't have time to serve God. God, your mate, your children, your career, your ministry, and then your hobby And I'm here to stand to tell you, after all these years of watching people's lives, you get any of those out of order, and your life will be out of order. You get any of those out of order, and I'm here to tell you, your life will be out of order. Second character is in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26. Again, the author is telling another story. One that is being written now for the very first time. One that had unfolded years before that, but now he's writing a story. He begins by talking about Elizabeth, a relationship, a relative of Mary, who happens to be the mother of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He almost picks this story up right there, as certainly we do this morning, just because of time constraints. I only want to talk about Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Okay. I'm your servant. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel left. Whatever you want, Lord. Okay. Whatever you want to do. Okay. What stands out to me to that story, not only obviously her answer and her radical obedience, but her age. I mean, most theologians say this is somewhere between a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old girl. Now, if you were God, let me just ask you, if you were the angel Gabriel, and God gave you an assignment, said, I want you to leave heaven, I want you to go down and find a girl named Mary, and I want you to tell her the most amazing story you've ever heard. Get down, I'm telling you, you'll find her, tell her the story. If you were Gabriel and you began to look around all over the area to find the one that you knew was going to be given the plan of redemption, would you have chosen her or her? Most of us would have chosen the first one, right? God chose her. Maybe not with purple hair, but God chose her. You and I would have picked someone more mature. Can you imagine a 15-year-old girl with a T-shirt full of sayings, chewing gum, listening to an MP3 player saying, oh, by the way, you're going to bear the plan of redemption for the world. Later, God's going to say to Timothy, through the Apostle Paul, don't let anyone ever look down on you because you're young. Don't let anyone ever look down on you because you're young. I've often wondered again, If God, the author of that, remembered the plan that he had made with this young girl and said, look what I did through a 15-year-old. You see, God remembered what he said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. Man looks on the outside, God sees the heart. We see people as they are, God sees them as they can be. God has always chosen people that you and I, if we're not careful, may have sometimes overlooked. In this case, God entrusted the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption to a young girl who believed God knew what he was doing. Most young girls plan for a wedding. They plan for that moment, that day. They prepare. They think. They've had magazines for years. They've put through pages. They've talked about that event. They've wondered what it was going to look like. They couldn't wait for that moment down the aisle. I had an opportunity to do a wedding yesterday out at the atrium. I love that place for weddings. Case had planned for a long time. We talked about it. We prepared for it. But there was nothing more unbelievably magical than that moment when the doors open up and she comes down the aisle. And I knew as we talked, we had planned for that particular day for a long period of time. And now it's here. When God tells Mary, she knows at that very moment, everything that she had thought about or planned had changed. But she continued to trust God. A 15-year-old girl. God, whatever you want, I don't understand. It's impossible to me, but I trust you. 
Over 60 years ago, a woman was told she'd never have children. She trusted the God of possibilities. She lost four to miscarriages because she couldn't carry them to full term. She continued to trust. The fifth one almost died. She continued to trust. The fifth one happens to be my wife who was standing here this morning. Friends of ours that we went to college with and have been in ministry with in these last number of years in this particular district found themselves in an unusual situation after a miscarriage. And then two, then four, then seven. I never saw such amazing faith demonstrated in my life for such a young couple. The eighth one finally lived a full term. On the day it was to be dedicated, it died of crib death. I couldn't believe it. I wondered how they would react to God's plan. God, this can't make sense. The first two or the first four or the first seven didn't make, but this? But their faith was so solid and strong, it was amazing. Today they have two adult children who've been used by God in remarkable ways. And they continue to serve and they continue to trust. Mary was that kind of girl. Even though the request seemed impossible, even though it seemed crazy, she trusted, she believed, and she obeyed. Some of us, if we're not careful, never say it, but we kind of want God to prove himself. God, if, if you heal me, I'll, I'll fully trust you. If you provide a job, I'll, I'll follow you. If you answer my prayer, I'll give you everything. If you do this, I'll serve you. I'll find that place. God, just, I need to know. What I love about these two is, in both of their cases, it was, God, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand, but I'll trust you no matter what. In Mary's case, and in Joseph's case, you can see why God chose them. Everyone needs somebody to believe in them, even in a difficult or unusual situation, someone who believes in you. And because of that, you gain strength, encouragement, and an amazing sense of security. But you got to wonder, what was it like for them? A couple of weeks ago, Dave sent me some video clips that just took my breath away, just watching an unusual set of guys that you'll see a couple of different times over the next few weeks. Look at this entire story through the character's grid. And this morning, I want you to see Joseph's. It was the scariest, um, most difficult, confusing, exciting, most wonderful day of my life. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you when you realize that God is allowing you to be a father, I, I don't, I don't know what to compare that to, you know. And then, on top of that, when you. When it, when it seems that he's deemed you fit to be the stepfather to his son, that's, uh, that's overwhelming. Um, he's, uh, he's perfectly healthy, happy baby boy that um, came into the world, I guess, just like most every other kid, you know. Um, I, I get why they call it labor. <laughs> I, I mean, 
Since I was 12, I've worked every day of my life, but I've never worked as hard as Mary worked that night. She was, she was amazing. And, and not just that night, I mean, through all of it, through, through the months of people talking about us behind our back and um, the week-long journey to Bethlehem. And then, and then we get there, and she, she, she takes an ordinary feeding trough and, uh, and turns it into a cradle. And none of it seemed to phase her. She's amazing. And you know what? Through, through all of it, I never heard her once ask why. Why? You know, she just... She just did everything God asked her to do. And if she didn't understand why things happened, she knew God was in control. She just, she, she, she followed his will. I, I get, I get it. Man, I get why God chose her. I really do. What I don't, understand is why he chose me. I'll tell you the answer to that question because he loves you. Like you can't even imagine. I gotta be honest with you, I've asked the same question. Why me? Here, in this place. And then God constantly reminds me from the beginning of time I saw you. I knew who you were. I wanted you in my family. I wanted to call you a son and daughter of the living God. I chose you. I died for you. And I offer you a life. And a relationship that will blow your mind. And then he offers us this incredible plan of salvation. And he invites us in. And once we do and cross that line of receiving him as Savior, from that point on, not only is that a step of obedience, I wasn't there, I didn't see it, I never saw the cross, I've heard the story, but once we've stepped over that line and invited him into our life, from that point on, every other day, every other week, every other month is a step of obedience. God, I don't know if they're going to receive what I'm about to talk about, but I'd love to at least share with them what I've found in you. And so... I'll obey because I hear you telling me to speak to them. I don't know if they'll come to church. I I really would love to see them a part of the family. And I don't know, but I I sense that you want me to do that. And so I will. And I'll obey. I don't know why you took her home. I don't know why you didn't leave him here longer. I wish you would have. But I'll trust you. And I'll continue to follow you. Because you know what's best. God, I wish they weren't going through this. I really do. I wish it were me instead. I'm sure he would say, I know, I know. But I just want you to trust me. And so we do. At almost every stage of our journey with God comes that question, why me? Why us? What now? What's next? And we have to decide. I give it to you. All to Jesus, I surrender.
Father, I've said it on a number of occasions, those words are a lot easier to sing than to live. And so for a lot of our family here in this room who are wrestling with issues of their life and trying to understand what your plan is all about or what you're doing, I just trust that you will continue to walk them through the steps of obedience and and the way you unfold it, the way you reveal yourself. I pray, Father, that you will continue to speak to us as we follow after you. These next weeks, Lord, as we over and over again unpack the most amazing story on the planet, help it to be one that we cherish and treasure like Mary. And remember the day when we trusted you and remember what it's like to be a part of that journey with you. Trust that everyone in this room has that gift. If not, today will be the day they receive it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I can pray for you in any way. If there's something you're going through and just love to have somebody pray for you, I'd love to do that. Hopefully you'll, uh, again, invite a friend next week. And for Christmas Eve, we're going to have a great celebration. Guarantee you, you won't want to miss it. God bless you. Have an amazing day.